Welcome back to another episode of Voice of the Generation. I am your host, Imani, and join with me today, I have Miss Khadija Doso, the founder of Doso Beauty, um, a West Philly native, one of Forbes uh, honorees for Forbes 30 Under 30, period, and also <laughs> a Black Ambition Prize winner. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Let's get into it. I'm excited to have you, and congratulations on six years in business. Thank you. It's my six-year anniversary. It's crazy to say that yes. right now. Yes. All right, so let's talk about it. You're from Philly, West Philly to be exact. Mm-hmm. What kind of stereotypes were you pushing against to get here today? Absolutely. Um, so many stereotypes. I mean, the fact that... Um, the- it's so funny. If you're from Philly, you understand like what a Philly bird means. Like people, <laughs> I come from the era of the Philly birds. I know a lot of Philly birds. Uh, and and to break that down, um, I think a lot of time, a lot of stigmas behind women who are from Philly is that they have a nasty attitude, that they're rude, um, that they're they think that they're smarter than other people. They think they better. They're better than. I mean, we also within the city internally have like a beef against every other part of the city as well, too. It's like West Philly better than that side, yes. you know, North Philly better than South Philly. But like, I think I've, I've most of all fought against a stigma that I wouldn't make it out of my neighborhood. And so I know people that lived on the same block that have not to this day, they've been living for like 70, 80 years and they still haven't left our 20 block radius. Right. Um, I'm specifically from the Cox Creek area side of West Philly. And I mean, 69th Street was the distance that they went right downtown was like, ooh, it's a big event. Right. So um, I've been able to travel the world. I've been able to live in various different cities. I've been able to see a lot of things and meet a lot of really influential people. So the first thing is that I've made it out. Um, and then the second part is that a lot of times when people from Philly make it out, they don't come back. Um, for me, it was different, right? And so, you know, I love Philly. And when I was went to college, it's like, I'm moving to New York. I'm never coming back, right? But that wasn't the case. Like, I lived in New York. I love New York. I still am in New York a lot. But I felt the need to come back to the city because this is a city that bred me and raised me. And so in order for me to breed and raise my baby, this business, Doso Beauty, I wanted to raise it up and really make a really strong impact in the city before I move elsewhere. So, so Yeah. Those are two stigmas that I fought against and I feel like I've overcome. Yes. Okay. So speaking of Doso Beauty, I know that you started Doso Beauty in your junior year of Hampton University. Why did you choose Hampton and why your junior year? Yeah. So, I mean, like Doso Beauty had already been, has always been an idea. Um, It didn't get formalized until I actually, right after I graduated my senior year um, at Hampton, but let me go back to Hampton, right? So I come from a Hampton legacy. My uncle Marshall, he attended Hampton University in the 80s. And originally, like, Hampton was not really on my radar. I was like, NYU, NYU, like I mentioned. Like, I wanted to be in New York. I wanted to do all the things and, you know, live this lavish lifestyle. And I visited NYU, and I noticed that there was only 8% Black people at NYU. So I was like, whoa. I think we can end the tour now. I don't I don't think that this is the space for me. Um, and then I visited as a high school senior Hampton and I 
fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with the people. And my very first time walking on campus is so funny because we are great friends now. Um, a guy, his name is Justin Schaefer. He also was a part of the class of uh, the 2023 class of Forbes 30 under 30. He said, are you a freshman? I said, no, I'm not yet, but I will be next year. And like, I was just like, yeah, no, nah, this is the place for me. Like, this is where I need to be. It really felt like it was my home by the sea. And so I built my brand, Dose of Beauty, of like, or this idea, because it wasn't formalized. The name wasn't formalized yet. But I built this brand around me building an organic beauty empire on Hampton's campus. Everything I did um, that was extracurricular was somewhat related to beauty and, again, being organic, sustainability. Um, I was president of quite a few different organizations. I pledged the Gamma Iota chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated had beauty events that I hosted throughout there, but everything was kind of this this building of community, this building of a brand. Um, I was a hairstylist in, in college and even in high school for real. So again, it was really about building this foundation so that when it was time for me to formalize the business after I graduated, that like I had community. And that's something that also HBCUs like does for businesses and does for people that like a lot of other places don't, right? Because I found my niche and I found a big problem within my Hampton community and within my HBCU community and I solved it, right? People who suffer from sensitive scalp and skin were having issues with all these different products that were mass marketed to us. So, so yeah, I, I feel like that, like my HBCU experience, community, family, they helped to cultivate and build a dose of beauty um, before it even, I even dropped the product. It was like, oh, we know Khadijah wants to build an organic beauty empire. So when she does it, like, oh, we got her. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. The HBCU uh, community will definitely stand up. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're definitely a community. So I wanted to know, like, did you, do you feel like your business administration or business management background prepares you for success now? Yeah, for sure. And it was business administration because I was actually in the five-year MBA program at Hampton, um, but I did not do my fifth year. So I like basically had 21st shot in the MBA, but I was like, do I stay another year and like not make more money or do I finish? And I was a full-ride student. So I was like, you know what? If I want my MBA, I'm going to come back for it. Um, but I think absolutely from my analytical mindset to how I can formulate an actual business, a revenue generating business at that, that all started at Hampton and in business school, right? Understanding the foundational principles of accounting, right? Understanding how economics, right? And how to build an actual business, right? What do business structures uh, look like, right? Like what is a foundation? Understanding the principles of marketing. Um, and another big thing within the, the five-year MBA program at Hampton that was important to me is I was always volunteered by my uh, professors to be a part of these amazing pitch competitions. So I won a lot of different competitions and case study competitions at a young age, right? I started um, when I was a freshman. And I would be on, you know, these case study competitions that we would win money for the school and win our sales scholarships with like seniors and, and fifth years, right? People that were three, four years ahead of me. And so they always encouraged me to be better, to be faster, to be thoughtful, right? To do the research and really to speak up in a way that like exuded confidence. And so all of those foundational pieces 
allowed for me to learn how to pitch well, right? Which I feel like it was, again, something that I, I was always trained to do. But like in college, you know, that's a whole different level of like you doing your recital when you in middle school or at church and like, you know, all those things. It just, this is on a national scale. Like we, we went to Indiana University um, and did a whole case study competition for Target. And so this, and this is pre- the actual city targets. So like targets that are in cities that are downtown Philly, New York City, like this was before they started launching the actual like city targets. We were doing pitch competitions and case study competitions to say, hey, this is the market risk. So like when I think about that, it's like, okay, case study competitions as well as our curriculum was preparing us for the future. So absolutely hands down, like all of that education was extremely important. And helping me to build a uh, dose of beauty or even understanding fundamentally what a business is and what it takes to run it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm doing a case study competition right now, child. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm really excited because I feel like I'm learning so much yes. um, about economics. And um, mm-hmm. I know that you earned $5,000 in your first year of business. Now, yeah. tell me about what you were thinking in that very moment. Were you like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Or were you like, okay, it's just 5,000. Like, how do I elevate from here? So let's let's add in the context that I was also working full-time at a big forward management consulting firm. And so that my full-time job, especially as an analyst, like you work like 60 hours a week. So the number one in 2018, an e-commerce beauty supply store was not a thing. So I also was like, okay, I'm starting something off. It was exciting to me. It's like, oh, I made $5,000, right? Like, and at the time we had only had uh, 100% mink eyelashes and shea butter. And so most of our sales was really generated from us doing pop-up shops. So one of our very first pop-up shops was actually at my job at the time. Um, I worked for Accenture. Um, And so the second one, uh, because we got a lot of buzz there was at Yahoo at for Black History Month. And it was really, really cool. And we kind of started getting invited, getting invited to different places and spaces where we could do pop-up shops to get more brand recognition and things like that. But more so I used I looked at that five thousand dollars or that first year in business, not really as and I mean if you understand business, you know that your profit and what you're putting out is not going to you're not going to be at a, a net positive in the first year if you really don't what you're supposed to do as far as investing, right? That's your first test of investment now for me I think that I really looked at it as a way to test the market out right so and and I I will say this to anybody who wants to start a product-based business do not try to cast a wide net that's what I did casting a wide net of trying to please everybody or please all these different target audiences is not the way to go because it's a, a quick cash drain and also it deviates you from your focus I happened to fall into my purpose within the second year after I had a crazy allergic reaction the first year in business. So once we, again, we started with 100% mink eyelashes, added beer oil, added shea butter, added um, edge control towards the end of the year. But when we blew up, it was really based off of our hypoallergenic braiding hair. And that was revolutionary for us, right? And it was based off of me having an allergic reaction. So I think that we kind of fell into our hero product. Um, but again, the focus had always been to be an organic beauty empire. Now with we've just shifted 
our business into being, you know, a hyperallergenic hair extensions brand and hair care brand that focuses on sensitive scalp and skin. So we were able to like focus a bit more based off of like throughout time by finding our niche in the market. That's what's up. So you also are a 20, I'm sorry, not 2023. Um, you are a black ambition prize winner and yes. you won 250K and yes. that was what encouraged you to become, um, pursue entrepreneurship full time. Yeah. So walk me through what you're thinking. Like, what didn't you, what did, why didn't you stop when um, it was time to do this competition? What encouraged you to keep going? And when was it, what, what made you feel like, okay, this is time to pursue entrepreneurship full time? Yeah. So I'll say this. Um, when I heard about Black Ambition Prize, I had a few friends send it to me and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to apply to this. Um, that was like, one of the third maybe accelerator programs that I was applying to. And I went in to that program with all intentions of just learning. Like I, I, I really sat back and looked at everybody that was in the room and I really just wanted to learn. And I felt like, you know, I was a newbie. I had, you know, started to have some more traction. I was projected you know, in 2021 to do 13X of what we did the previous year because we had just dropped the braiding hair literally like the quarter before and we got a bunch of press and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, these are our projections. This is what we're going to do this year. But I knew that I wanted to be a sponge and learn. And so um, throughout the six months of becoming a semifinal or being a semi-semifinalist or getting into the cohort, being a semifinalist, being a finalist and then winning, it was more so for me, Again, me asking questions and feeling in Black Ambition, making me feel safe enough to ask the questions that nobody has ever answered. I'll preface that also by saying that, again, like I said before, I've done something that like, oh, that has not really been done well before by creating an online beauty supply store that's less overwhelming. It's like top tier. It's a great experience. And so even with brick and mortar stores, I would walk into every beauty supply store that I saw and ask for help, ask for mentorship. And they all told me no. And so I, I then again came into this program saying, you know what? I know that there's no other beauty supply stores in here, but there's other product-based businesses that are in here that might have understand retail agreements. Um, I mean, it's Pharrell, it's Black Ambition, it's Felicia. Like they have access to all of these different places that I can see myself in or that I want to be in. So like, let me just go in asking questions and showing up as my authentic self every single meeting. And I did just that. And that's how I won, right? Like that's literally how I won HBCU and also bringing on my team because at the time, one of my uh, neophytes, she was on our team. And then my other marketing manager at the time, he graduated from Morgan State. Like, it was just, again, a full HBCU love team where we came together to really build this thing that, you know, I had the vision for, but did not have all of the full execution. So, so yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think Black Ambition, like, that whole thing, it gave me the vote of confidence because it's like, there were people that were building computers in my cohort. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to win over a computer. <laughs> like I fell asleep of here, girl. But but I they saw the vision in me, and they saw my steadfastness, and that's what allowed for me to be in that position. 
um, to show up and be humble enough to say, hey, I'm just here to learn, show up and like take advantage. So every time Black Ambition does something, they're like, Khadija, are you available to do this and that and the third? Yes. I show up for them because they showed up for me in such a huge way. And it's the gift that keeps giving. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Um, I feel like as young entrepreneurs, like I'm an undergrad right now, and I feel like there's so much talent on my campus, and I just feel like sometimes we don't know where to start. So what's your advice to an undergrad pursuing entrepreneurship, not really knowing how to navigate this thing? Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is that everybody wants to just start something, but you really have to start with the foundational principles, right? So like the first thing is, Start off by trying to brainstorm your business ideas. See if there's already an existing solution for whatever idea that you have and then find your niche or your your unique value proposition. If you can't come up with something that is so unique that people need to come to you instead of your competitors, then you need to re-go back to the drawing board and figure out what that unique value proposition is going to be. Because really, the market of entrepreneurship is, is quick turnover. I mean, less than 3% of businesses last beyond three years, which is crazy, right? Most businesses fail within three years of business. But if you can be within that, that, 3%, that top 3%, it's like, wow, you have something that is stable. You have something that it has a market fit. And so understanding what your, where, who your target market is, um, understanding your target market and like what they need and what they want to provide and doing a bunch of research before you launch is incredible. Um, Being on the HBCU campus or being on campus in general, you also have literal access to thousands of people. So survey people and ask them what they want, ask them what they need, right? Ask them about, you know, maybe idea that you have that's a roundabout, right? Like see what the actual market need is instead of just saying, oh, I have an idea. I'm gonna put it out to market. Right. No, you want to really test out and like the data won't lie to you. You might lie to yourself, but the data <laughs> not going to lie to you. Uh-huh. Right. So, yeah, I think that's that's some of the advice that I can give is, yeah, like start off with that. Build out your business plan, review it with uh, confidence and then like kind of execute from there. Right. But but the foundational piece that I will say that, like you said, at the beginning of uh, of the podcast, is like, me being able to build community first and then have my community and and find out where my niche is and then have my community on this journey with me. Mm -hmm. So walk me through this journey. You, you start from $5,000 and then you go to $700,000 without any venture capital. What are you, how are you analyzing your business? What are you doing to get there? And what, what did you say to yourself? Like what was happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Like I said, I've been data driven like this whole time. So I really think that, um, number one, we've procured over $700,000 in non-dilutive cash. And that was based off of, again, building a really strong business plan, understanding what our unique value proposition is, understanding our target market. And honestly, part of our unique value proposition is I'm our target audience, right? Like from our demographic perspective, uh, social economic perspective again like from the product like I have crazy sensitive skin so like I'm R&D I'm everything right in, in that realm um, being able to scale and grow your business is about really understanding again that unique value prop which your market fit is and then how you 
compared to your competitors, right? What is your market fit? Why should somebody choose Joseph Beauty instead of some of the other toxic free brands or braiding hair in general that's been around for centuries? Like these these legacy brands, it's like, well, what's going to make people buy mine? And so the other part is uh, understanding how to segment out your audience, right? And who to target specifically. So for Doso Beauty, um, a lot of our revenue is generated through really dope partnerships that we have. So we're the only edge control that's on GoPa, which is crazy to say, right? But that's been a really great revenue driver for us. Um, in addition, we do very well on Amazon and that's because of Amazon's Black Business Accelerator program. So when they first, the BBA program first started, they actually reached out to us and we've been able to scale on that platform for over three years. And by the end of this year, we definitely will be a tier one client doing well over $250,000 on that platform alone. Um, and that's my goal because we now have cracked the code and we got a solid formula and we understand what products work there and we have a market demand for it, right? Mm -hmm. So really understanding your product, uh, your product market fit and then also what is going to drive your customer to buy. Is it great product? Yes, for us, if they want the high quality product, but also we're battling against brick and mortar stores because people are used to just walking into the beauty supply store. So making sure that we have efficient and fast shipping and delivery, right? Uh, finding shipping and delivery and third-party logistics companies that can help us to make that happen is extremely important as well too. Mm -hmm. All right. So you didn't go to school for STEM, but you did make yeah. your first three products. So yeah. how are you conducting these formulas? Yeah, by a lot of research. Like I used to go to Barnes and Noble and like really like be in the books, understanding like essential oils and like how they were effective. So even um with our whipped shea butter, right? Um, I really, really wanted to help out my mom because she suffers from diabetes and she has neuropathy in her feet, which like basically causes it's like numbness of the feet. And so I was just looking at my little essential oils book and I'm like oh my God, peppermint oil helps to stimulate actual sensation. Let me make sure I add peppermint oil into these products and like test it out. Hey mom, try this. Let me know what you think. You know, um, let me add these different butters that also like have healing properties, right? I always grew up on cocoa butter and understanding um, that cocoa butter will help too. I was a tomboy. I used to fall out of time, be trying to play basketball, football, all those things on the block, on the hard concrete. Um, in the middle of the summer and my mom was like put that cocoa butter on your knees so your your scar could go away and so that's how I knew innately that like cocoa butter is great for that um outside of that I'm West African too which is why the last name is Doso so like you know my little African um uh cultural understanding of like butters and like essential oils like all that kind of comes naturally to me outside of me also being like a pretty good cook too so that's the thing with making products is like you have to understand uh, like ingredient theory and stuff like that. We also provide ourselves on using professionals who actually can like test our formulas and make sure everything is right and that everything is the way it's supposed to do. It is doing what it's supposed to do, that it's pH balanced, that it's actually organic. And so we actually have something that I cannot talk about yet, but we have a amazing study that will be coming out on our braiding hair so that you guys can really know for real, for real, for real. Yeah, <laughs> this is really, really made for sensitive scalp and skin. So I'll talk about that more later. But again, uh, science using the data and like tons and tons of research is, is, is how we got to where we are. 
All right, we're not going to skip over that. I'm West African part. <laughs> well, where are you from? <laughs> My father is from Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. Okay. So I am definitely West African, um, very much so. My dad lives in the Southwest, you know, with the rest of the Africans. Um, so I grew up, like, going to my dad's house, going to my mom's house, going from Southwest to West Philly. But, yeah, we are from Cote d'Ivoire. So that's the last name, Doso. Um, and that's why I named Doso Beauty, Doso Beauty, uh, because Doso is synonymous for, for us. Exchange, you can use it. Fofana as well, too. And Fofana means hunter. So I kind of see myself as like the hunter of organic beauty supplies. Like every time somebody would ask like, oh, I need this, I need that. Okay, let me go find it, right? Yes. Like, and then like, you know, kind of go back and forth from there. So yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm West African, so I felt that. Yes, sir, <laughs> yes, ma'am. Gotta stand up. Speaking of Ghana, you just right. did an activation with Afro Future. Yes. yes. So for the people who don't know, I want you to explain what an activation is, and then I want you to explain why you picked the Dharma. Yeah, well, okay. An activation is when you present your brand or your product to a larger audience at a festival or at a pop-up shop of sorts, um, and you kind of create and curate an experience for them. So we were fortunate enough to be able to activate for our very first international activation in Ghana at, at for Future Festival because of a few things. Number one, I always wanted to go to Afro Future. Love, love, love everything they've done for the culture, all the things. Um, and so I got connected with the team and like fell in love with them. And I also was able to connect Black Ambition with Afro Future. And um, I have a very, very huge love for Ghana because funny enough, even though I'm Ivorian, Ghana was the first country I've ever went to in Africa. And I just fell in love, girl. I, I was like, oh my God, the food, the yes. people, the everything is just like incredible. And it felt like home. Like it really felt like home. And I think that Ghana is also one of the more progressive countries and across specifically, it's such a great and progressive city where you can see that they have influence from the Western world, influence from Europe and it's like a, a beautiful blend and also very very deep conscientious roots and understanding of who they are and so for us to be doing that in Ghana like was incredible it was incredible um it's so funny we we went viral on TikTok um last year and when I went to one of the Black Ambition events I spoke and a girl walked up to me like I know you and she's got and I'm like you know me from where and she's like oh my God, I know Doso Beauty because you guys went viral on TikTok. And I'm like, all the way in Ghana. Uh, Ghana? Like, they're like, yes, oh yeah, we know Doso Beauty. We know Doso Beauty. You're like, you're the Black-owned, hypoallergenic braiding hair. You have the good edge control. Like, I'm like, this is madness. Like, I had no clue. And so, again, the connectivity piece in Ghana is just incredible. It's amazing. Like, I, I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're on Voices Generation, and I absolutely love talking to disruptors in their industry. So mm -hmm. I want you to talk about what do you, where do you see the future of Doso Beauty, and what are some initiatives that you're going to be bringing back um, into the community to help other creatives like yourself? Absolutely. Number one, before the end of the year, we will have a brick and mortar retail location. So y'all can come <laughs> shot with Doso Beauty. Um, in person, in real time, look at all the colors of the hair, look at all the products, ask us questions, all the things. So we are working on an actual 
retail location for you guys to have that experience. Um, we started something last year called the Braid Bar, where we also go to festivals and actually have braiders come and braid on the spot. So that's something that we will continue to activate um, this next year, because I think there's a difference between buying hair online and then like kind of being like, oh, versus seeing it in action. The the love that we've received from every braid bar that we activated at, we have lines and lines of people waiting to get in the chair. And like, it's insane. And I, I love it. So, so that's something else that we will continue to do um, this year and far beyond, which is another reason why we opened up a retail location so that you can also come get your hair done there. Um, the other thing that I see in the future for Doso Beauty is, again, like you mentioned, being a disruptor in the space. And so being able to have mass markets, we will have be adding on to our international distribution. So we have some leads in Ghana. We have um, an exclusive um, in in uh, Germany, uh, in the UK as well too, like so many different places where they want access to these products. So I'm really excited to get started uh, with like some more of those other like Eastern, because we do have Canada already, but like some more like African and like European um, markets because people again in the UK buy from us each week like on .com so being able to create those experiences for them or have it even more accessible there is just going to be chef kiss um, and then the other part about the community um, is really just like making sure that we're creating amazing internship experiences um, job openings as well too for our community and then like brand ambassadors right like my goal is to really see you know, people speak as as highly of our of our customers. Because if you go through any of our reviews, the most thing you're gonna see is the only thing I use is Doso Beauty from now on. I absolutely love this hair. I would do anything for this hair. I I will always support the brand because they really love the product. And so, having a way for our customers to be brand ambassadors and to continue to spread the word, like Doso Beauty is global already we're going to be even more global, like in the next coming year. So I'm, I'm really excited about, again, spreading awareness about, you know, toxic chemicals being in braiding hair, but also like when you know better and you have access to better, you do better. So I think I'll take that. And then like Doso Beauty will just like spread it like wildfire. So I'm excited. Yes. Well, congratulations. I'm excited to see the future of Doso Beauty. And we always end every episode with what does it mean to have a voice in your generation? Ooh, big, big question, girl. Um, <laughs> so what it means to have a voice in my generation is um, a couple of things. Number one, it's being um, fearless. Right. Because there could be fear of failure. And I used to say I feel I, I fear failure. Right. But like failure is really defined by something internal and like you define what your failures are. And like those failures will change every second of every day. Right. Of what a failure is. But you turn those failures into lessons learned. So that's what partially, you know, my voice of the generation is like, like dismantle the failure piece. Right. Like you have to be fearless. You have to go after what you want 110%. Um, it also means being a revolutionary, right? Being able to revolutionize and do take, um, you know, complexes or products and a standard way of doing business and dismantling it and recreating something that's beautiful, that's more efficient, that's more accessible than we've had previously. And so 
for my generation, especially millennials, we love like being like, all right, well, let me take what you got and like learn from your lessons from the generation before and remix it, right? And make it work for me. So um, those are two things that it means for me to to be the voice of my generation. And the, I would say the last thing that um, I could say about being the voice of the generation is, is understanding Sankofa, right? Like that, like we have to reach back while climbing forward. Because if we don't, then like, how do we connect with y'all generation and give y'all again the lessons learned that we've already learned from? Um, so that's the connectivity piece. I think like millennials drop gems. Like we be dropping the gems and giving y'all free game. So continue to giving free game so that way you guys can elevate and rise above us as well too. Yes, thank you so much. Of course, of course. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Voice of Generation, the number one podcast for culture shifters. I will see you next Tuesday at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs>